Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Taylor Campbell. I'm a birth and bereavement doula, as well as an adoption and surrogacy doula. Doula means woman who serves. And although I love happy births, adoptions, and surrogacy, the pro bono part of my business is in bereavement. I'm here to help you. I'm also mom of 18, yes, 18 children, with over 30 years experience in the trenches as a mom myself. We have a huge blended family, and I've also experienced the loss of our adult son. Remember, give a shout out to those brave enough to share their stories on how they have become parents. Let's dive in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. I'm your host, Jen Taylor Campbell, and I'm here with Carrie Hummingbird. And I love Carrie because she's been on the show before, back when it was different, named differently. Carrie, how are you doing? Doing great today. I'm really excited. I've been anticipating coming on here and sharing my wisdom. 53-year-old woman, kids out of the house, you know, been through the journey. So super excited to share. It's a a lot different when we've hit that point, because you and I are in kind of the same boat as far as that goes. And, you know, the empty nest, and is that a real thing for you? That's something that definitely I want to go by, go over. But let's talk about you had a baby for the first time. So when you had your first one, what was that like? How old were you? hospital, home, breastfeeding, like tell me about your story when you had your first baby. Yeah, awesome. So my first baby was planned. I mean, in terms of we were trying for him, we wanted to bring him into our lives. I was 30 years old. I really felt like I had I had been in psychotherapy for myself for at least a decade. I really felt like I had it all figured out. I was like, I am ready to be a mother. I smart. I know things. I know how to control myself. I know I am ready. And leading up to that, I had been uh, just really disenchanted with going out to dinner and things like that, which is how we had spent our early time together. When I met my husband at 22, we went traveling. We went to dinner a lot, and and you know the wine and the whining and the dining and everything. And I was just like really disenchanted with it, you know. And I was like, you know what? This is played out. You know, I'm ready for the next thing. But um, I'll say more about that in a second. But so yeah, so when I had my first child, I thought I had it all together. I was like the perfect person, you know. I'm ready to have this kid. I know everything, and I'm ready. And then he came in a wailing storm of crying that lasted for like almost a year. And he was just could not be consoled. And um, I did everything like I learned all the checklists, like, does he have a little piece of hair wrapped around his finger? Does he have a little tiny drop of pee in his diaper? Does I mean, what is this kid crying about? <laughs> what, what, why is he so upset? Um, luckily, he did nurse. So I learned how to nurse. And I actually had a really good time nursing. That was the only time when he was quiet. So I was like, woohoo, nursing. <laughs> like, go ahead, nurse. I'll just rock you in the chair. Just rock you in the chair. We got really good at picking out, you know, different. Um, we found one um, swing that actually rotated. So that was the only one that he would go to sleep in because it rattled his little brain. To, like, you like, just go to sleep, you know, <laughs> it was like moving in all the directions. So, you know, it was like, wow, this kid. So uh, I know this to say, uh, I got plunged into sleeplessness and on call all the time when I had not been on call before at all in my life. Like I'd been able to set my own hours. I was a consultant. Mm-hmm. I was an artist. So I was able to be, have lots of quiet time. And suddenly I had zero quiet time. And even though I hired a nanny to be at home with us, I still didn't have any quiet time because he wanted me. So yeah. it was like, whoa, this this is a whole nother level. And, and for me... 
it plunged me into a really big depression. So I had a huge postpartum depression. Mm. Now I had had emotional kind of turmoil earlier in my life. So that wasn't new for me, but this was new. This was like seeing a black hole in the middle of the floor. Oh my gosh. What is that? While I'm wide awake, I'm seeing things now that scared me. So, um, you know, I got, I got into psychotherapy, another psychotherapy group, and I got into a group and I got into private mentoring and I got into, I took, started taking the not feeling pills just because I was like, you know, oh, these are safe for your baby to nurse with kind of thing. I was like, well, as long as it makes me stay on the planet, then I guess I'll take the risk, you know, because at this point I have to do something. And uh, I got my stuff together and, but, you know, it's like what I realized, Jen, from that was that. I had a lot of early childhood trauma, like from zero to five. So as soon as I had my child, it's like it all got kicked up inside me. Like everything that was unhealed in me, just like it just got excavated, you know? And I believe it's because he was such a big bright light that came through me. He was so powerful in his force of love that it just was like, just stirring up all the shadows in me. And it was like, wow, I have a lot of stuff to deal with that I thought I was dealing with. I thought I was handling it, right? And then I found out, no. Nope, you were not. When <laughs> you, did, you had no idea. <laughs> right. And there's no way to even describe that for a woman who's pregnant the first time. If you and I sat down and, you know, there's like a hundred side effects to pregnancy. I don't know which 10 you're going to get and which 10 I'm or whatever, you know, I don't know what side effects you're going to have. You can say your body will never be the same. My hips have always been three inches bigger than they were before I had a baby, but like that doesn't even compute to the person before they've had a baby. I remember a woman saying, I had no idea that it was my body. It was going to be like this. There's not even a way to describe this stuff to people. There's no, it's it's not because you're in the, you're in the, by the time you get pregnant and you talk to somebody like you, a doula, you're in the pregnancy glow. You think yeah. everything is going to be beautiful and roses. And you've seen everybody else's pictures of like the pretty and the white and the fairy tale and like, you know, the little toes and everything. And you're like, oh, that's what it's like to be a mom. <laughs> and it's it like, is. It is. And, and it's not. It's not. Like at right? all like that. It's like the biggest chest of your character you could ever be put through. And, you know, I mean, talk about ways to judge yourself. There's like a million ways oh. to judge yourself as a mother. Like it's so awful. And it's so wonderful. It's all of it. Right. And that's the, yep. that's the initiation into motherhood. And see, we used to have initiations. We used to have cultural tribal initiations that readied us for the moment of motherhood. We used to have tests of integrity that readied us. Instead, now we just have parties. That's not the same thing. You know, I mean, when we get our menses now, when we're like, I might have got mine at um, 12, you know, when we get our menses, now, now we're, we're stepping into womanhood. We're no longer a girl. But instead of honoring that and really teaching our girls, hey, now you're aligned with the moon cycles. Now you're like, um, you're a womb of creation, just like planet Earth. You can create inside of you. You need to be careful with that ability. Instead of really bringing our girls through this initiation process, which if we did, would clear up much of the trauma from birth and from the early years of life. It would, it would be a cleansing and a purifying of that. If we did that, stepping into motherhood, the next archetype would be easier. But we don't do that, 
we just throw a party and go, yay, now, and we just like give a bunch of mandates, but we don't actually walk our girls through the process of becoming a woman and what that means. And that's because we've been disempowering women for like, you know, thousands of years now. And we're in this part of rewiring that those misogynistic practices, beliefs, patterns, so that our girls can feel good about their bodies instead of shameful, embracing their bodies, right? Instead of like saying, oh, the curse and all of this, it's not a curse. Mm. It's a blessing, but we got to know that, right, Jen? We get, we get wired these untrue things. I think it's a blessing also, although that's, I mean, having a teenager right now, you know, I can see her perspective as well as it doesn't feel like a blessing. I think we've lost community too, because when things were more communal, and I don't mean we need to go back to when you have your period, you're in a hut by yourself type thing. Like, let's dial back from that, but more the community of support that women had with women with birth and with their cycles and with all of that. And we've really lost that, but that's true through all of parenting too. And I know I spent, I lived 10 years in Alaska and it's a very, very different environment where people are extremely supportive and just the community in general is like that. So it's much more community raised as a child because that's kind of how they were geared. And that was a really beautiful thing. You don't realize you're missing it or how much you love it until you have it. Because we're, we're just not like that anymore, except we're not for, like that. No. Yeah. I mean, it, when I started my period, I didn't know how to put a tampon in because right. so I would leave the cardboard in there. Ow. You know, and nobody told me anything. And then finally, my mom's friend came to visit and she said, just let me just show you. And so she brought me in the bathroom and just pulled down her pants and showed me how to do it. You know, it right. was like, that was the most helpful thing anybody had ever done for me. And my mom couldn't do it. So it's like, you know, we've lost the ability to be real about our bodies, you know, and, yeah. and to show our children, like our girls as they're emerging. And so because of that, motherhood is extremely traumatizing because all of a sudden you are forced to be one with your body. Like you don't have a choice anymore. You have got breasts coming out your, your nipple. you got milk coming out your nipples. Your baby needs it to survive. You've got to deal with your emotions in order to keep this baby, you know, happy and calm and yourself happy and calm. I mean, there's just like so many areas of life that we don't have skills for because we're not prepared earlier in life. We're just, oh, here's a pill. Just, you know, don't cry. Well, that's, that doesn't work. When it becomes massive in motherhood, you need deep roots. You need really deep roots to deal with that. So the image that kept coming to me, John, when I was talking about motherhood was marathons. Mm. So I started marathon running after my kids were like, maybe like uh, nine, seven and or six and nine, I started running marathons because I just needed to move my body so much. I had so much angst and anxiety and everything in my body from being a mother. I just had to move and I started running. And the thing about marathons that's really accurate to motherhood is there's these points along the way where you just get so overwhelmed by how much longer there is to go that you just want to quit. You're just like, I can't do this. I cannot finish this marathon. And in those moments, you need to take a break and pause and get support and get like, they have those rest stops along the marathon. It's like, stop, drink your nourishment, take a breath, honor yourself, you know, maybe have some cheering on of some friends, like get, get yourself centered again. So you can go again and then you keep going. Right. But it's like that with motherhood, right? Like you've got to have those rest stops. Otherwise you ain't going to make it. Amen to that. And I'm a runner, so I love the analogy. 
talk talk to me about being uncomfortable in your body and the artwork breastfeeding in public and um be, you were recognized in a newspaper for a series i don't know yeah. what that means i did a i did an art series of breastfeeding mothers and um you know, because what I experienced, I had my kids in Silicon Valley. And so I thought that, you know, there'd be enough hippies there that it'd be cool for me to breastfeed wherever I was going to breastfeed, right? But I, what I found was that people were subtly disgusted by it or like thought yeah. I shouldn't be doing that. And like, say, go to dinner with a group of friends and then they, I'm breastfeeding my child with a breastfeeding top, by the way. So you can't see anything. Right. And, but they want me to go to the bathroom to do that. And I was like, no. No, I'm not going to go to some dirty ass bathroom to feed my child breast milk. You can just suck it up. Don't look, you know, I mean, turn the other way if you have to, if it bothers you so much. And then my question is, why does it bother you so much? I mean, this is like life giving. I'm giving life to my son. Like he's, he's getting milk so he can survive. Why is that a problem? He's eating, I'm eating, everybody's eating. So I was so upset by that, that I started this series and I did this I invited women who were breastfeeding to do portraits with me. So they came, they sat in front of me, they breastfed their children. I took a lot of pictures. I did some sketching. And then I produced this series of paintings um, of breastfeeding mothers. And I did some art shows with it. And I got in the paper. The paper was so fascinated. They're like, this is beautiful that you're doing this because a lot of women feel ashamed about breastfeeding. Right. And they're being told to use formula because of this, you know, and it's like, no, like you don't have to. It's actually healthier to breastfeed your child if you're able to do it so um yeah that was a series and it got a lot of attention and I felt like an you know an advocate an advocate for uh breastfeeding at that point I felt like activist so that's where yes, I, I love it activist. I remember I remember with my first daughter I had the breastfeeding clothes too and I was I'm not a super super conservative person but I also don't need to advertise what I'm doing either so I was kind of in between there I always used the sling because it was comfortable and easy and I could be hands-free and so I remember being at a football party like the 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 big party whatever why can't I think of that but anyway the um the playoff party we're at this huge party and Brianna got cranky and I stood up and I got her situated and I got her latched on I was just standing there and one of the guys at this party said um she's so like well behaved I haven't even seen you feed her and I'm like I'm nursing her right now and everyone got so uncomfortable and I thought if you didn't know I was doing it before, why does it make a difference now? Like, I don't have boobs hanging out all over the place. You know, you can't see anything. You didn't even know I was doing it. And it's just really interesting. And I think our culture is so sexualized that it's just uncomfortable for people to think about breastfeeding. Yeah, it doesn't fit the role, right? Because right. actually what you hinted at is really important. Our culture is so sexualized. Mm -hmm. Actually, our culture has sexualized women right. and made the only time of life that women can be existing in our culture, just as they are, girls and young women. Older than that, as soon as you become a mother, it's like you're not recognized for the authentic experience that that is mm -hmm. because our culture has a real problem with what happens when you become a mother is that your mother's wisdom opens up there's there's an expansiveness that opens up inside of you and you realize you need something deeper to connect into if you're going to survive this thing so it's like it's at that call actually very interestingly enough 
that your whole body and everything, the exhaustion, the effort, the, the being fed on, like everything is calling you to get a source of sustenance that's deeper than just food. Like you need spiritual food. It's like, that's the moment when the spiritual aspect of a woman opens up is motherhood. I found myself, Jen, because I wasn't raised with religion. And I'm not even sure religion even touches this. Like, this is not about religion. This is like beyond religion. This is a personal embodied experience of the divine that happens when you become a mother. And it's like a thirst or a hunger for something bigger, for more strength, for more ability, for more power in order to, to provide for your child. Like there's this mama bear thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. All of that is like a call for a spiritual journey to your soul. Like it's calling your soul in because as a mother, you're going to need your soul. And if you don't have your soul, it's going to be a little less uh, productive with your kids, right? You're going to have, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle and not feel like you can do it. So I used to walk my kid around the the um, the neighborhood and we'd walk down to this park and on the way, I would find my stroller stopping in front of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, staring, looking through the gate, and then all my mind would make excuses. Oh, my husband said, this is just a scam. I can't put money in here. I can't go in there. If I don't have his permission, we're going to fight about that. I don't want to fight. I really would like to go in there though, because I feel like it could help, but I'm going to just keep walking and then going to psychotherapy and taking the meds instead when that's not actually what's needed. Like that motherhood experience, it calls us to something deeper that's opening up and it's a spiritual experience. And this is the place where like mother wisdom comes from. This is the place where deep insights come from, where like you just know, like, you know, like, you know, what's going on with your child because you're tapped into this place within you that's called intuition. That's when that really blossoms. But see, we have a, a culture that says that's not okay. That's not safe for women to tap into intuition. It's scary and dangerous and it's against the law. and You can't do that. And we're not going to honor that. We want that out of the room. Well, motherhood calls us into it, whether we want to have that experience or not. It's right there in our faces. So many women are faced with a dilemma. You know, what do I do? I'm my whole body and everything is calling me forth to this initiation. Everything that my body and everything is telling me I need to do is something that's not accepted either by my husband or by my community or by my family. And suddenly I'm caught in the middle. I don't know what to do. And that's where many women break down. And it's a breakdown to break through, you know? So eventually that call is stronger than the resistance to the call. But I feel like, you know, I feel like now we're on the planet, we're at a time when mother's wisdom and intuition is is rising in its in its um in its need because our shallow mind solutions are not tapping it. It's like they can't even get deep enough to help us out. I think also through pregnancy, I think I know in pregnancy, it's one time that it happens where we relinquish control because especially the first pregnancy, you don't want to stand up for having a home birth or having a natural birth, or you don't want to stand up for whatever it is that you want this pregnancy and delivery to be. And because you've never done it before, you're not an expert on it. And so a lot of women feel like they, they're not comfortable advocating for what they want in their first pregnancy and delivery. And often 
that's the catalyst where, okay, so they listen to everybody else and it doesn't go the way that they want. And they realize later they had choices. You can say no to that, or you can want it differently, but nobody tells you that. And if they do, you don't listen to it because it's so squashed by just the medical community. So, you know, you don't want to be dangerous for your child or yourself. You know, you don't want to you don't want to do anything wrong. And I know a lot of women that have their first baby. And once they have that first baby, they're like, wait a minute, now I'm angry and it shouldn't have gone this way. And I had choices and I decided, like you decided to listen to go to psychotherapy and have medication. That's acceptable. You know, go to the hospital and be bullied by an OBGYN who's a man who's never had a baby who has a tea time. And, right, exactly. He wants to get it over with. You know, I mean, right. yeah, people that, that's pointing at like the sort of subversive reasons why medical professionals might tell you a certain thing that's not exactly true. You know, right. I think I think what, what you're hinting mm. at, Jen, is exactly what I've been saying is that women have not been trained to have a voice. We right, have right. not been trained to have a voice. And because we don't speak up for ourselves, and this was me, and I even went to a feminist college, okay? I went to Smith College, which was like very, very feminist, and I still walked out of there like into a marriage where I really couldn't advocate for myself very well, or I wouldn't advocate for myself very well. And instead I went to psychotherapy to complain about it, but I didn't actually like just say no, like, no, we're not doing it that way. And so thus began my relationship with being a mother with this person and not being able to actually speak up. Like I can't allow this. And, and it's really, as for me as a mother, it was watching the dynamics with my, with my first son and how he would crumble and because whatever pressures we were putting on him out of expectation were just crumbling his little self. Like he was not doing well. We were putting him in this really strict um, school and expecting him to do, perform and, you know, get ready for your Ivy League school. And and it was, oh, he was not built for that. He would have been better in the public school in the art program and enjoying himself and singing and playing. Like this was not the place for him. And I was like, not trusting my intuition until it became clear that he was really struggling. So at that point, it was like my son called me for it to get a voice. Like I was like, I can't, I can't sit by and watch this anymore. And I know a lot of mothers get placed in these positions, right? And like, for example, my mom um, got placed in an early position of I have to leave my partner because he's going to start molesting my daughter. So, you know, we, this is like, this is a really serious thing, everyone. Like when you become a parent, you're, you're responsible for the person, you're responsible for that child and making sure that no harm to the best of your ability comes to that child. And so we cannot avert our eyes. We cannot look the other way. We have to be strong. We have to say no. We have to be that guardian, that protector. And that might mean that it pushes us beyond all of our uh, beliefs about ourselves and our own personal power, we have to claim that power from something bigger than us. And that's why I think, you know, the spiritual call is so big, but we can't stay small anymore either. Like there's this thing like I run up against where it was like, um, I was supposed to be smaller than my husband somehow, like more petite and then like pretty and like just on his arm and like, let him be the big daddy. And he's like the one with, you know, it's like we, we surrender. I've just noticed a lot of women and especially in white culture, like surrender our power to the man. Like the man is the thing and the man is the one with the big career. And maybe we can keep up with him a little bit, but it's like, we're still expected to be sort of like, like a trophy. And that is going to, is going to dis be destroyed when you become a mom. 
because you cannot be that anymore. <laughs> that That's one of the things that's just going to like dismantle itself all by itself. And you're going to have to confront that. And you might be bigger than your husband in every way, like voice, mother wisdom, size of body. I mean, emotions, like you might be bigger than him in every single way now. And guess who has to adjust? He is going to have to adjust to that. That's his initiation to be a true father. So I don't dumb yourself down. Don't make yourself small. Stand up for what you know in your heart, what you're seeing in front of you. Call it out. Be that guardian, right, Jen? Yeah, and I, I, you know, when I did foster care, there were a lot of situations, including having my own baby and looking at her and realizing how powerful that feeling was and how you could never explain it to anyone when you you give birth to your first child and you hold her like no one will ever I don't want anyone to ever harm this child that whole mama bear thing a lot of times I think it's difficult challenging to advocate for yourself but when you realize that you're advocating for your child even in pregnancy the birth that you want you're not as afraid anymore it is that mama bear that comes up in us and look you don't have to do it in a mean horrible way either but you're right i i want to dive into you're married and you have a second child at some point so let's talk about that how that all went yeah so after the first child it was very tumultuous as i explained and then i got it got the hang of being a mother you know and and started figuring out my pathway of how I was going to be successful every day with with my child. And I got some help. I got a nanny to help support me. And then along the way, I thought, well, because I was an only child, I didn't want to have an only child. I wanted to give him a sibling, you know, so you'd have somebody to, to be family with long after I was gone. And uh, so we started talking about the second child and, and there was a lot of negotiation that happened. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, um, I negotiated all that with my partner. And then we we finally said, yeah, okay, we're gonna we're ready now. And you know, luckily for me, my second child was very mellow. Like he was super chill, super mellow. So it was not like another really intense birth. It was like a very chill thing. And we started this, you know, family of four. And I would say that along the way, like two kids becomes like three. It's not exactly a direct relationship. It's not like, okay, this is double. It's like triple, <laughs> it like expands because now you're dealing with all of these interesting dynamics between um, like the two children themselves and making sure that the older one doesn't hurt the younger one, you know, out of spite mm -hmm. or jealousy, right? So making sure that everybody feels mm -hmm. loved and seen. And then you've got like the dynamic with your partner who's like now has no, you have no time for because you have these two. And then he, he becomes the third child usually <laughs> because he's not getting what he needs, right? So you've got like, you know, it, it, maybe you guys are lucky and you have a partner that's a little bit more awake. I, at the time we were very, we were doing our best but we were like 30 and, you know, 33. And we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into, you know, we thought we did, but we really didn't. So it becomes like, you got to be an expert in psychology. I mean, that's really like the thing, like you've got to educate and become really good at psychology and understanding your kids. And so read as many books as you can about psychology and young psychology and kids and families, because it'll really help you out. But yeah, I mean, we pretty much did well. Um, but then, you know, Jen, honestly, the thing is that once this spiritual awakening happened to me, I wasn't really just okay anymore earning my money the way I was earning my money. 
like doing the dry technical work that I had been doing to earn money, I, I became dissatisfied with it. And the dissatisfaction was so intense that like I needed a creative outlet. So I was delving way more into my artwork and trying to make that work. And so I was had two young children plus doing my artwork and trying to make a career of an artist, which is like not going to ever. Well, I don't know. In my case, it didn't earn anything close to being a te you know a technology person in Silicon Valley, right? And Silicon Valley, I found out, is like less interested in art and more interested in fashion. So, um, you know, that was another big disappointment. That's why I did also did that series. You know, I was like, wait a second, people, like this is really social activism. So I feel like, um, you know, you might find that with yourself. Like you might find your interests change or like you lose your heart for the work that you've been doing because it's just not satisfying anymore. Because once you know like what life is all about, when you look in that little baby's eyes and you have that meaning and the meaning of nursing and the meaning of all of this big, deep meaning, Anything that's meaningless gets hard to tolerate, really hard to tolerate. So it could cause you to have a job change, you know, and maybe less income. So you've got to be able to have a partner that you can make decisions like that with. Like, hey, I'm so depressed doing this job because it has no meaning. Let's downsize. Let's like reduce our expenses. Let's move someplace else. So eventually that's what we did. We moved to Texas and we let go of our Silicon Valley real estate. We earned a profit on everything that we had built together and we we tried to start over again, you know, and the thing is like in our relationship and I think many relationships having children and becoming moms and dads. It's like um, changes all the dynamics between the two of you and if you don't really have both people committed to working on the relationship. It can be challenging to keep that relationship moving forward, you know, really challenging. And that's why I think our divorce rates are so high in this country. I do too. My oldest daughter is 30 and she can't have kids. So she had to like get through not being able to have them when she had wanted to. And then she realized, you know, she's, they, she's been with the same guy, her husband for 10 years and um, they met young and they've noticed in this 10 years, all their friends starting to have babies and how much it affects their relationships and she's like you know it's not like i i'm glad that i can't have kids but i've seen the benefit of not having kids in my own relationship and my best friend in college was the same way they decided they didn't want kids and she said i think that's part of why we're still married 30 years later and we have a good marriage we never had to figure things out with kids and i've watched all of our friends it's the single most difficult thing they have to do and so in both of those situations i'm certainly not an advocate for not having kids but i do see the benefit in the relationship once you've made the decision that it's not going to happen and you're good with that decision and you focus on your relationship and your life in a different way you never have to navigate that situation and people think you know moving in and getting married is a big transition not that it's not a big transition but it is nothing nothing like having kids you've got to redo every part of your marriage and grow up together and parent together and that is so challenging so challenging well, yeah it's really challenging because what people don't mm -hmm. understand and what i didn't understand was that it's not simply like meeting the physical needs of the child no, it's like meeting their emotional needs. It's meeting their cognitive needs. It's meeting their long-term needs as well as their short-term needs. And it's meeting your 
needs and your and your inner child starts to really act up when it's not getting its needs met like when this child is more important than your inner child it's like all of a sudden you realize you have an inner child it's like oh my god i have an inner child like i'm what am i what a part of this is throwing a tantrum you know like why am i throwing a tantrum or why is my partner throwing a tantrum it's like because your inner child is like hey you've been ignoring me this whole time but look how much attention you're pouring on this child and you're taking care of the child but you're not taking care of me and that's like the beginning of the journey of realizing that you have all these aspects of consciousness within you that need healing and love and attention and have had questions and concerns about things that happened in life that they didn't understand. And as you're explaining things to your child as they grow, those parts of you inside are also getting healed or they're they're getting upset too, right? Like, oh, well, I remember... Um, like, for example, I'm, I became aware of this mostly with my second marriage because my my um, my husband, my second husband already has two children, right? He has a girl and a boy. And I never had a girl. I had two boys. So I, I always wanted a girl. And so we have this girl that's in the house and she's uh, she's now in high school. But I remember like, like watching my husband, even recently as a teenager, letting her decide that she's going to stay home from school because she just needs a rest day. And, the, and then inside of me, having all of this like angst come up, that then I'm going off in private and I'm like, why am I so upset that he's made this decision with her? And I, and I hear these voices inside of me, she's getting away with it. And I'm like, well, what is she getting away with? And then I remember that in high school, my mom would never let me stay home from school unless I was so ill, I could barely move. Like, and here she is, she just has a little, like, I just have a little tiny cough and I feel like staying from school. So of course my 15 year old inside of me is like, this is completely not fair, you know? So we gotta become aware that like a lot of times when we have these reactions, to even our small children, like having an experience, right? And maybe the partner lets them do something that you never got to do when you were that size and you're reacting suddenly. It's like, okay, it's my inner child. It's not me, the adult, it's me, the inner child, you know? So there's, there's, that's why I'm saying there's just so much to know and you can only know it by doing it. So you, there's no book that can prepare you for it mm -hmm. at all. You just have to get in the mess and then get help. Like, immediately you know, like to sort through it so that you can be stronger through it because you can there are many couples jen and i know you know couples that have gotten stronger in their marriage through raising children so but it is a spiritual initiation it's initiation into the the true father and initiation into the true mother those frequencies and energies and as we embody that those archetypes we have a lot of shadows in the way of expressing as that so we just have to move through it, you know, and heal and clear as we go along and do our best. You mentioned that you are married for the second time, which means you got divorced with the father of your two sons. And often we can't, I mean, I've been divorced too. Often we can't rectify the relationship and, um, you know, I didn't get married to get divorced. Although when it came to that point, it wasn't um, super sad for me either. It seemed pretty necessary when I hit that point personally, and then you're remarried, so you have a blended family, but you also are experiencing empty nests. So you've been a single parent, you've been a blended family, and your boys are old enough that now they've moved on. So I know you said that your um, husband's daughter is in high school now, so you're not totally empty nest, but you kind of hit that point. We're down to one, and she's almost 13, and this is like, it's so different than on the front end, right? So Talk 
talk um, through a little bit that, and then I want to end on your business so people know who you are and where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, I'm an empty nest in the sense that my two sons are out of the house. My older son is 23. He's living his life. He's not communicating right now. He's, he's like, I've got to find my own way and like out of my way, you know? So there's that, there's that like letting go of like, oh my gosh, we were so close, but we talked all the time, but we did these, you understood. We were, and now you're don't want me anymore right now. Okay. That's painful, you know? So to let those, you know, I have to be with myself with that because that hurts. So, but that's part of motherhood is the letting go, the release, you know, and the, and then not kind because I can tap him all the time. I want psychically, I can check in and see how he is, but to not do that, to just let it be like, okay, he's off on his own. He'll get in touch with me when he wants. So that part of that empty nest experience, my, my younger child is at college. So he, he does text back and forth. But, so that's nice that he'll do that. Cause I, at least I have one that's kind of communicating with me right now, but you know, it's like, that's just how it goes. I mean, the children are, they're, they're not children anymore, you know, and I had to let go of my little boys. Like that was so hard to let go of. Like I had to let go of my little boys. They're not my little boys anymore. They're men. So I have, created this sort of separation in my consciousness where I can visit with my little boys anytime I want, but those are not the people that are out there in the world. Like this is just something that lives in my own memory and in my heart, you know, I can comfort myself because that was a really important time in my life, you know, having those relationships. It was really beautiful. So you're going to form a new kind of relationship with these men now. And I don't know what that looks like yet because it's in the process of forming and they're figuring out who they are. So I've got to give them space to do that, you know? So yeah, in the meantime, I have this beautiful partner and we have formed a new family. And um, what was six with my boys is now down to four and it's his children and me and him, you know? So it's a different dynamic. I'm um, Their mom is in the picture. So I'm not like trying to replace their mother. I'm just kind of like a bystanding parent, <laughs> you know, I'm here to just kind of, help out if needed kind of thing. Um, and I like it. I like that role. I think um, I love it when they come to me and they ask for advice or, or things, you know, like they want to show me something or want to ask my advice about something because I know that they actually mean it. Like they don't actually, that's not a requirement of any kind with me. I'm not in that role. So when they want to share that with me, that's from an actual desire, you know? So I, I think that's really beautiful. I love that. And I'm getting to experience that now. And I'm really glad that I'm getting to experience a daughter without it being my actual daughter. Cause now that I, I see daughters, I'm like, oh, I, that's probably why God gave me two, two sons <laughs> because probably I needed a little more practice before I take on a daughter. <laughs> so, like, yeah. okay. I thought the boys were easier as teenagers. They seemed more, yeah. they were harder when they were little because they were just so much, right? They're, they're so much. And they're, it was very different to have little boys. And I was, but, and also I was never around boys or really positive male influences. So I had no point of reference. My boys were so like foreign. It was foreign and they were so different and so fun, but so different. Like the little girls, easy totally easy easy. yeah I saw my friends with them (laughs) I was like dang do you see what's happening for me I was telling them I'm like I I cannot sit down for five seconds this kid is off into something you know so yeah it was a lot you know it was a lot when they were little yes it was it was one of my the best experience I've had I'm super grateful for but as they got older that shifted and the boys were for the most part the boys were so much easier 
so much easier when they got older. So yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's also it's like, it's not exactly easier because then there's this dynamic between mothers and sons where a lot of times sons don't feel like they can be in their own true power, especially if there's been a divorce and the father is not a good, hasn't been a good role model, you know, or mm -hmm. hasn't give them the positive masculine, um, which is the case here. You know, there was just um, with my older son, a lot of uh, severing of relationship with the father. So it's, it's like, the single mother of a son thing is a really challenging paradigm to move through while giving your son an avenue to claim his own healed masculine. This is not an easy path. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now is letting him have that, knowing that he needs to find that within himself because he didn't get a role model for it in his father. <clears throat> so I was, you know, it's kind of like, you don't think about these things until later, until it's already too late. But when I, you know, I chose for love, what I thought was love. I, I loved this man. I was in love with him and that's why I married him. And what I know now is that a lot of times what looks like love is actually karma. You know, it's karmic debt. And um, especially if it's really, really intense and, you know, you've got to work on your relationship from like the first minute, which is kind of how we had to do it. So it's, it's, you know, it's a lesson. It's a classroom. It's not a fantasy. It's a, it's marriage is a real commitment. And you got to have the right tools for that journey. So um, anyway, all that said, you know, there's so many ways that being a parent of a son can be um, really intense journey because I don't know what it's like to be in a man's body in this lifetime. And so, yeah, I want to support him in getting his power. And I really strove to give him a positive role model in my dad and also my second husband. But, you know, by the time they're like in teenagers, it's mm -hmm. kind of like a little too late, you know, like you, you get a taste of it, but there's still also, there's so much programming already. It's like how, how many seeds of those got planted? We'll find out later, you know, that's, yeah. we don't know yet. So, um, yeah, all that to say is your journey is your journey. That's why there's no handbook for it. Cause there can't be, it's impossible. You just kind of have to like hop into that marathon, do some training for it, you know, get a dog that that's a good training, you know, that's like endless, endless need for a puppy, like get an idea of what that's like. And then, you know, jump in and be prepared to hire some support to get you some support and support groups to get through it. Um, get a group of moms, you know, hang out with them or a group of dads. If you're a dad, get some support, be willing to be vulnerable and transparent. And speaking of that's what I do. I mean, I help people yeah. be vulnerable, transparent, you know, um, and I help people to forge a path of spirituality. So many people have been um, raised up with religion and religion is beautiful. It's community, it's church, it's, you know, it's a, it's a path and that's gorgeous, but that's not the same as spirituality. Spirituality is a really different thing. And spirituality comes from the inside. It's that inner knowing. It's that inner journey. It's that inner connection with that which is bigger than everything else, including you. And so I help people to find the one, the path that works for them because um, I believe in a thumbprint journey. I, I believe that there are no mistakes. And so if there's a thumbprint on our hands that is completely unique, I believe that's because we're completely unique. Like there's not any one of us the same as anybody else. So I help people to um, connect with their bodies, connect with mother earth, um, really get into this earth experience, not trying to escape it. Cause you know, that's really tempting to want to like, maybe just kind of not really dive into emotions and beingness, but actually get really into it and realize the beauty of it, the beauty of the subconscious, the beauty of our ancestry, the beauty of being human and being alive and on the planet, the beauty of nature, connect with all of that. 
and trust yourself. Learn how to trust yourself on your journey and take that thumbprint journey that's only meant for you and not for anyone else. So I do that through inner medicine training. You know, instead of outer medicine, Jen, as I was getting outer medicine, you know, yeah. all the psychotherapists and experts on the outside telling me what was going on with me. This is like inner medicine, finding the truth inside yourself and navigating it inside of you. You have books and you have one that you're in the middle of writing. So there's more to come with that. You have a podcast. There's a lot. All your links are in the description. So for any mama uh, or dad who this really resonates with, you they'll be able to get in touch with you because you, you have a lot there and I'm, yeah, you have a lot. I do healing work too. So, and I do work with children, you know, if people want healings for their children, but I always tell people it's probably you. So, you know, like, let's start with you first. <laughs> Just saying, you know, that's a great place to it's end. It's probably <laughs> you. It probably so, is actually. It we'll do the healing is. with you first and right. then we'll see about the child. Yeah. Carrie, thank you so much for being on and sharing your story. I love it.